Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, find life, make a difference, and reach our world. If you have any questions or you want to learn more about us as a church, you can always check us out online simply by going to gracelife.church or on our YouTube channel. You can always find video content of all our messages as well as services for your preschool and elementary school kids. Our greatest desire is to make Jesus famous across the street and around the world. We want to see as many people as possible experience the love of God and make Jesus their king. Each year, we take time to focus on global outreach to celebrate what God has done through you, the Grace Life family, to reach your neighbors and your world. Join us these next three weeks as we go next door. Hey, Grace Life. One of the core parts of our vision as a church family is to reach our world. It is so important that we never lose sight of why we are still here on the earth. That is to see as many people as possible enter the kingdom of God by making Jesus their king. Each year we always do a series reminding us of the importance of the mission that Jesus gave us. And our theme this year is Go Next Door. This series is always more than just a few sermons. We think it's a pretty big deal. It's actually about reaching our world and not just talking about it. And so we always have opportunities for us to do that in a very practical way. Well, because of COVID, we've had to change how we're doing some of these this year. So either on your seat or available for download if you're worshiping with us online is a card explaining everything that we are doing this year and how you and your family can be involved wherever you are. Be sure to get this so you can be a part of reaching the world during this holiday season. Hey everybody, welcome to Grace Life. So good to be worshiping with you guys. Hey, before we go any further, we want to take a moment and welcome those who are here for the first time, whether you are worshiping online or you are here in the room. Would everybody help me put your hands together and let's say hello to those of you who are the first time here at Grace Life. We're honored you would take time to worship with us. Well, everybody, today is the end of our Global Outreach Series, and as we are wrapping up our series, we are actually still just beginning with our holiday outreach season. So here to help us know what is happening, especially this week, Pastor Chuck Hill, everybody give it up for Chuck. Hey, everybody. And I love all the stories that we're hearing about how you are getting involved in your neighborhoods and your workplaces and how you're going out and showing the love of God wherever you are. Uh, So this week, we have two big outreaches kicking off, and let me remind you, you can see all of our outreaches, and specifically, you can sign up and RSVP for the two I'm about to tell you about by going online to our website or on our app, or alternatively, you can text the word GO to 803-881-8000. And let me tell you about the two that are kicking off this week. This year, we have committed to feeding 200 families that are in need for Thanksgiving through our Thanksgiving meal outreach. So all you need to do is get on your phone right now and sign up, and we'll email you all the information, the family, the address, all of that good stuff. And then after service, drop by our outreach table, grab a bag to deliver it in, and if you're joining us online, you can stop by the office store in the week, and we'll hook you up with a bag then. Secondly, we are kicking off a brand new outreach team that I'm excited about called Foster the Family. Now, this ministry is all about coming alongside of those families who've chosen to foster or have uh, similar circumstances.
circumstances, and we provide support care for them, whether that be a meal or watching the kids for an evening or some housework, but we come alongside of them so that they can be successful in what God has called them to do. And we're really excited about this. And to kick it off, we're going to do a movie night this Friday, November 13th. And we're going to kick it off at 545. We have child care provided, snacks and pizza. Great time to come out with the family. We'll be showing instant family and talking more about this outreach. But it's going to be a great time. And I'm excited about how we are making Jesus famous wherever we go. But one more thing. Happy birthday, my friend. Thanks and no thanks, Chuck, at the same time. All right, there we go. Hey, everybody, uh, here in the room, one of these was on your seat when you came in. If you are online, you can download this as well. It's different from the one Chuck was just holding in his hand. Uh, this is the one that is new this week. It's a trifold, and it is what we want to end every Global Outreach series with, and that is celebrating what we have seen God do through us as a church family in the last 12 months. I'm going to go ahead and tell you that this is not to make much of us. It is to celebrate the goodness of God. It is to celebrate how we've had the privilege of being a part of his mission on the earth. And it's also just a little bit of information because the truth is we're doing things all over the world and all throughout the year. And no one in this church knows every single thing we've done except for maybe Chuck. Every, the rest of us, you know, we, we need this thing right here to help us. So look, you're, uh, you're not in kindergarten. I'm not going to read it to you, but I want to highlight a couple of things that have been a lot of fun. Uh, the first one is how as soon as the COVID crisis hit and suddenly everybody in the medical field needed masks that they normally have and the uh, the supply wasn't there. We had a staff member who has a family member working in a country uh, with a factory there that makes masks. And so we were able to have 11,000 masks purchased, shipped directly to Grace Life and given to all of our local hospitals and first responders. Pretty exciting. Um, and then on the, uh, the backside, some of the things I'm really excited about, one of them here with the, the one that looks like a map, is that we have been partnering over the last several years to reach four unreached, unengaged people groups. Let me explain what that means. Uh, what we know is we've been told to go and take the gospel to all nations is the word nations is not uh, with a flag and a, and a border. It is ethnic people groups, cultural people groups. And there are actually groups of people on planet earth today that do not know who Jesus is. They do not have scriptures in their language. It may be baffling to us because we've got the internet and we've got a church on every corner. We've got so many versions of the Bible in English. We can't begin to believe that there are people waking up today that don't have this choice. They could not go and worship Jesus. They don't know there's a Jesus to go worship because there is no one reaching them. There's no one engaged in working among them. And so we partnered uh, with an organization that is helping to reduce the list of those people. And the way that we've done it, some of you have heard about this, is that because we can't go to most of the places that you need to go to these days. And so we partner with local believers that are closer to that culture, uh, more indigenous, able to speak the language, that are willing to move either from a neighboring village or even a neighboring country. And they commit their lives to go and spend the rest of their lives living among that unreached, unengaged people group. We provide the resources and then we pray. And so look, you've already provided the resources. That's the good news. You've already done this. And uh, so we've already done that part. They've already moved. What is left to do is what we've been doing all along. And I want to ask you to continue to join us. And that is praying, first of all, for those who have gone, 
and, and that they would be safe, they'd be protected, they'd be effective. And number two, pray for the harvest. We want to see people come to know who Jesus is. And so uh, there are initials on here to how to pray for those people by a letter because we cannot publish where those people are working. It wouldn't be safe for them. And uh, But anyway, we've, we've just been proud to be a part of that. Uh, another thing is that in the United States, one of our favorite organizations to work with is the LA Dream Center, Los Angeles Dream Center, the first and original Dream Center. Uh, their mission and their work is absolutely incredible. And so when the COVID lockdown began and people couldn't go to school, what ended up happening, uh, even here locally, is a lot of children don't eat. There are a lot of children who are only able to eat in school. That's the only meal that they get. And so we helped out with the LA Dream Center uh, and funded their mission for uh, a time to allow them to feed 10,000 children which is exciting. They've been doing this now. I believe they're into the seven digits of how many children they've been feeding. So it's exciting to be a part of what they did. And the last thing I want to draw your attention to on the, the back side of this, maybe my favorite one of all, uh, is, you know, there's a lot going on in our world today and, and we're able to partner with another organization we, we do a lot of work with as well. And they have people, boots on the ground in these places. Uh, we've been able to help rescue 7,000 children who have been orphaned because of war and are, are without a family living in, in camps. We've been able to keep them from ending up as soldiers on the wrong side of those wars and instead place them in Jesus-loving families in their own culture. I'm telling you, it's exciting to see that happen, and that's one you can cheer for right there. 7,000 children not growing up in refugee camps. Amen. And so all of that is possible because of something that is not in your brochure, and that is your giving and what you've done. And so I want to share this with you. In the last 12 months, since our last Global Outreach series, uh, through your general giving here, as well as through some of your specific giving towards these projects as a church, you have given $273,000.98 just in the last 12 months, just to missions outside. Yeah, you can celebrate the person beside you for what they've done there. And that's... That's where I just want to take a minute and say thank you, because we have been through a really tough year. Come on, y'all, 2020, woo, yeah, right, you know? And uh, at a time when some of you were out of work, at a time when some of you didn't know what the future held, you continued giving. And I am so honored and privileged to be a part of a church family that understands the gospel is free, but the mission is not that to do the work of making Jesus famous requires us to be sacrificial with our, our giving and our resources, and so you have done that. Because of that, throughout 2020, some organizations have had to limit what they've done. They've had to lay off staff. Some churches have had to make choices. We never had to make a choice, and I want to thank you for that. We never had to choose if we were going to reach our city. We never had to choose if we were going to reach the world. We never had to choose if we were going to keep the pastoral work going. We never had to choose. Thank you, thank you, and thank you. And that's all I can say to that one. So the rest of today is going to be very, very different uh, because today is not a normal day, right? I mean, let's, let's just call it for what it is. Uh, Grace Life Church is located in the United States. I know that we're broadcasting. We have families worshiping with us all over the world, but the majority of us are here in the United States, and uh, it's been an interesting week for us here in America. We've had an election. Did, did anybody miss that this past week? I'm glad a couple people have gotten the ability to laugh. You know, some of us are still, still working on that one. And uh, so as I look forward to what I'm going to preach, I mean, I can tell you right now the preaching schedule for the majority of 2021. We're always trying to plan ahead because it allows me to pray ahead and kind of see what God wants to speak to me. So 
Uh, you know, earlier this year, I was praying about different series and the way that we had structured the calendar and knowing that this Sunday would be our global outreach series, but also knowing that really no one was going to walk in the doors today caring about part three of a global outreach series. That I knew that when we walked in the door this weekend, the first opportunity to worship after the election that we were going to be having, I knew it was time to talk about something a little different. And so today I want to talk about where we are and how to handle where we are. And uh, so let me just go ahead and tell you before anybody freaks out, and and I'm going to repeat this multiple times throughout the message because you're going to need this reminder as we go. What I'm going to say today, I wrote in August. When, When I was praying over what to do for this weekend, I feel like God gave me a very clear mandate on some things that I needed to speak to us specifically as a local church and maybe to believers beyond if if it actually gets there. Uh, But I want to say it again, this was written in August. I sat down, did the entire message, I put it into a folder, put it in my desk, and came back to it last week. So what I'm going to say today has absolutely nothing to do with who has or has not won. It has nothing to do with a particular party or a particular candidate, because what I wrote was true in August. Everybody good with that? And uh, I've backed out of the way. I've been preaching this all weekend long. And uh, when I started preaching this, the first service our weekend Thursday night, we had no idea uh, who was going to be winning. It was as much a toss-up as anything. And so uh, I realize right now it looks like there is some sort of a result. And, and, but again, this has nothing to do with the actual result. It, it has to do with where you and I are. Because what I knew in August, as a matter of fact, we knew it before August, and we, we knew it after August, but, but when I sat down to write this message, two things were very clear that I felt was the reason that God told me to do something very different today. Uh, the first one is that about half of us today, this weekend, would be very upset. Again, written in August, it didn't matter which way it went, that about half of us would be very disappointed. Uh, About half of us would be filled with some degree of fear, and about half of us would have a whole lot of concern. That all of us believe that this election was a fight for the soul of our nation, and again, in August, I knew today about half of us would believe that that soul has been lost. That is the situation. We come into this place today very distracted. Matter of fact, all weekend long as we've worshiped, it's if you're sensitive in worship, uh, it's been very apparent that that was not the, worshiping God was not the first thing in our heart. And, and you can understand, if, if you come into church a day after the doctor has told you that you're going to die of cancer soon, you're not really thinking about the words on the screen. You suddenly now have a new issue of your heart that has the, the forefront of your thinking. And I think right now that a lot of us are still kind of thinking about our world and, and, and had a difficult time worshiping. And so I just believe God wanted us to take a moment and and talk about our manner of life and how we're supposed to respond to our current circumstances. Is that okay? I'll I'll go ahead and tell you. um, I appreciate your trust because as soon as I tell you this is what we're going to talk about and you didn't get up and walk out, I appreciate that. Um, I'll I'll also let you know no one's thrown anything at me yet, so um, that's a good sign for you. And uh, if you do want to go and look at this message later or share it with anybody, I'm going to make it very easy for you to find. It's, it's not one of those creative titles. This one, we just wanted to tell you what it is. It's called Election 2020, My Response. And by my, I mean our. Okay, Election 2020, My Response, if you go looking for this afterward. And so as, uh, uh, the second reason that I, I felt like we needed to do this was because of the division that we see in our world today. Look, we're, we're a, a big country. 
We've got over 300 million people. And uh, we're geographically spread out. Uh, what that means is some people are wearing snow boots to church today, and uh, here we'll never have snow this whole year, most likely, you know? And, and so because we are so spread out, we're going to have different cultures, we're going to have different preferences, and we're going to always have different opinions. The truth is we have always had different opinions. We didn't even have the same opinion on whether or not we should become a nation. We have never been unified around one opinion. But only a few times in our history has the division live, risen to the level of hatred and animosity that we see today toward people who hold the other opinion. This has happened in our history. I love history. I love our nation's history, and, and I've seen it happen. Some of you have lived as long as me or longer, especially I've seen it happen but it doesn't happen often, and we're in that place right now. And so I'm not a, a national politician, so I'm not here today to speak to that. I'm here to speak today as a pastor because what's relevant to us is that the division in our country has filtered down into the division in our communities. And that means it has filtered down into the division between us and the next-door neighbor we're supposed to be reaching for Jesus. It also means that it has filtered into our very churches. And some of us, have stopped being friends with others of us. And that definitely is my lane to talk about. So again today, I wanna to talk about our manner of life as God expects and our response to our circumstances as God expects. And it was again, last time I'm gonna say it maybe, was written in August, three months ago before anything was determined. So is everybody okay with me to take another step? Let me tell you why I am gonna just wrap it up and end the Global Outreach series with this message at the same time. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew 28, verse 18. And uh, this is after Jesus' death and his resurrection. He comes to his disciples and he gives them a command. But it's actually more than a command. It's actually a mission statement. The truth is, it's their very purpose of existence. It's the whole reason that he's going to leave them on planet Earth. It's the very reason you and I are still on planet Earth because this mission that he gives to his disciples then gets transferred to every disciple throughout history, hence you and me today. And you've already heard us preach about it, so I'm only going to read it to you and move on. I want to make sure that we understand just one point of context. So in verse 18, it says, Jesus came to them and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And I'm going to pause before we read any more, because if you've been around Grace Life, you know, we just finished a series called In the Garden, where we looked at how all authority had been lost. It had all been given away to Satan, to the kingdom of darkness. And you can read the the story of Satan attempted, trying to tempt Jesus in Matthew 4 and Luke 4 and saying, hey, look, all this authority is mine, and Jesus didn't disagree. And so at this point, Jesus has gone to the cross. He has conquered the power of sin. He's paid the penalty for sin. He has been raised from the dead by the power of the Father, and as a result of that, he has regained all of the authority of the kingdom of God. And so he has the ability to look at his disciples and say, and this is why, I can say what I'm about to say. What is he about to say? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, because until this is done, we're in that age. It'll be the end of the age when that is done. That is when he'll come back. That's why we know it's still been transferred to us to do this mission today. This is what we're here for. This is what this series is about. And hear me when I say this. This is what has not changed because of the election. Anybody with me on that one? The reason we're on planet Earth has not changed. And so 
what I really want to do today, that's not our main passage. If you will, flip back with me, stay in Matthew, go back to chapter 10. And I want our main point, maybe, uh, mostly, today to be the context of the people that he said this to. As he was speaking to his disciples, I want us to understand something about his disciples that quite often is overlooked and mis, uh, misunderstood, all simply because we don't see it. So today I'm going to share with you uh, a passage that is going to be our main passage for a moment at least, and uh, it's just a list of who the disciples were. And I, just trust me, you're going to get something out of this. Everybody hold on here. So Matthew chapter 10 says, And he called to him his twelve disciples, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction. And this is like an introductory statement. It's a good, hey, here's what's about to happen. And if you continue reading chapter 10 and even some of 11, you're going to see them go and do those things. You're going to see that story play out. They're going to have a lot of fun. It's got some, some of the great stories that we could preach on. But for today, we're only going to read the next few uh, verses, which is simply the list of the disciples. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. <laughs> Some of you at this point are thinking, Seriously? Like, dude, we pray you to, like, pray and talk to Jesus and, and, and come up with something inspirational. And that is your idea of inspiration and life-changing sermon message for us today? Yeah, just trust me. Give me a minute, all right? So here's the thing. Did you notice as I was going through that list that nine of the 12 he simply identified? He, he just told us how to know one from the other so that, like, if you and I happen to be walking along the beach of the Sea of Galilee and we run into James, we could go, oh, hey, you're one of the disciples because you're the son of Zebedee, not James with the fish taco stand, you know? <laughs> we, so we know which one you are now. That's Nine of them, we only know how to identify them if we run into them on the street. Three of them, he told us something about that was very important. Matthew is the tax collector. Simon is the zealot, and Judas Iscariot is the one who betrayed him. Three people he tells us something very important about. Now, I can understand why he told us that Judas is the one who betrayed him. I think that's one of the most important things for us to understand about history is that the person who betrayed Jesus and helped send him to the cross was one of his own, one of his closest, one in his inner circle. That is hugely important detail for you and me. Very important, right? Everybody with me there? So the question is, why in the world then would you tell us something about two other people in the same line so you put it on some sort of equal level? What could possibly be so important about these other two people to put it equal with the one who would betray him? Well, thanks for asking because that's what we're going to talk about. But as we do this, I want to make sure you understand that the person who's writing this is one of those two. The person who is writing this is one of those who says, I lived firsthand what I think you need to know. Matthew, the tax collector, wrote this. The two that we're going to talk about and why it is so important for us to know this is Matthew, the tax collector, and Simon the Zealot. If you'll allow me a minute to not torment you, I'm going to take you back to middle school. How many of you remember learning about the great Roman Empire, conquered all of the known world and ruled over everybody and, and kind of forced their way upon them? Okay, I got a couple of hands. The rest of you are trying to forget middle school. Good news, middle school lesson's over. That's all you need to know for today. But at this point in history, the nation of Israel, God's people, is they're being ruled by Rome. They are under Roman dominion. The Roman government is in charge. And so Matthew, who is a Jew, who is an Israelite, who is one of those 
has actually taken a job with the government, but not the Israelite, not the Israelite government, but, but the Roman government. Matthew has taken a job with the oppressive army that has come to town to take away your right to live freely and to tell you how they want you to live. Matthew has, not only has he taken a job with that government, his job with the government is to get money for the government by taking it from you. So when he takes money from you, he gives it to them to pay the soldiers to oppress you. It would be like me coming up to Joe right here and saying, Joe, I want you to give me money to hire a bully to beat you up after you leave the building. That's Matthew's job. He works for the oppressors. So everyone in Israel would have seen him as a traitor, a tax collector. And on top of that, tax collectors were known for cheating. They took a little extra off the top because, hey, after all, who are you going to ask to straighten them out? The Roman soldiers? I don't think so. So they could get away with a little more, live a little bit nicer life by stealing. After all, they needed a little help because they sure weren't going to get it from their own people that they were helping oppress. On top of this, Matthew, as a tax collector, was stationed in Capernaum. And what's fun about that is Capernaum is a beautiful little town on the Galilean Sea where Peter was from and where Jesus spent a lot of his time doing ministry. What that means is that one of Matthew's primary jobs was to make sure the fishermen paid their taxes. That every time they rode their little boat up with all their little fish, that somebody was there to count and make sure that the number of fish they reported was actually there. Matthew was a tax collector among the fishermen. Who did Jesus call to be his disciples? Fishermen. Can you guys just picture this, you know? So he calls the other Simon, and he calls Andrew, and he calls John, and they're just kind of walking along. Jesus says, hey, I'm going to make you fishers of men instead of fishers of fish. And they're like, hey, sounds great. We'll go with you and be fishers of men. And I shortcutted that story a whole lot. But anyway, imagine they're walking along at some point, and, and Jesus says, hey, you come too. And they go, whoa, 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 whoa. He is not coming. My house would have a man cave if it weren't for all the money he stole from me. My boat would have had two sails instead of one, but I couldn't pay for it because he ripped us off. He oppresses us. He counted our fish and rounded up. We don't like him. You cannot make him one of us. And yet Jesus did. But that's not even the main point. The main point is Simon the Zealot. Because Simon the Zealot means that he was a part of an organization that wanted to see Israel rise up against Roman rule and overthrow the Roman rule such that the organization he was with and they quite often were referred to as terrorists. I want you to follow this, that two of the 12, Jesus put together someone who was a traitor to his own people, working for a government to oppress his people, roamed down against Israel, and then he calls a guy who believes that his life purpose is to help Israel rise up against Rome. These guys couldn't have more different viewpoints. They couldn't have more different causes. They have both committed themselves to a trajectory that is not only opposite, this would be opposite. Not only are their trajectories opposite, but they are colliding. Matthew would have been the guy that would have called up and said, hey, send over a centurion and, and a whole legion of guys because I've got one of, the, of these like terrorists over here. We can just get him when he goes behind the building. Simon would have been over here with like, hey, get all of our friends over here. I've got one of the traitors. We can get him when we go behind the building. I mean, these are the two guys that Jesus has put together. And if you keep reading the story, <laughs> Jesus sends them out in pairs. Now look, I'm going to tell you the Bible doesn't tell us. We never know who Jesus sent with whom. We don't. We never know. But I've got a little heavenly bet I'm going to find out about when I get there. 
Before I, I, I preach the rest of this as though Jesus sent Matthew and Simon together, let me just go ahead and say it, it doesn't matter. Because even if he didn't send them out two by two, for three years in a group of 12, they had to work together. For three years when they would sit in a circle with Jesus and 10 other men, they had to look at each other. For three years, everything Jesus asked him to do, for three years, when Jesus walked up anywhere, standing behind him to his left, was a traitor to the nation of Israel that Jesus was trying to be the Messiah for, that had ripped off and oppressed virtually everybody. And standing behind him on his right was a terrorist that some people did or didn't want to succeed, but anybody who was in position wasn't a friend of. And those two guys were everywhere that Jesus went. But can you just imagine with me for a minute, what if Jesus sent them out together? Can you imagine the power of Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot walking into an Israelite village together? I mean, just as that happened to I me, mean, first of all, I can just, the first thing that happens, everybody listens and goes, uh, you, Matthew, no, uh-uh, you were here last month. I already paid my taxes. I'm not giving you any more. You took a cow and a sheep and you didn't need either of them. So, you know, just, just don't you even think, so? uh, well, wait a minute, who's that beside you? Oh, this is funny. You know, he wants to kill you, right? You know that. My, I'll get my cow and my sheep back when he kills you. That's it. I mean, can you just imagine as they walk into that village, right? Can you just for one second think the entire village would come to a screeching halt to see Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot standing side by side? Can you think of the power of the message of the gospel as it would come out of their mouths together? So look, I've, I've always had a desire to be a bit of a stand-up comedian, and I'm, I'm going to take a stab at this. <laughs> One thing about comedians you need to know is they never know where the line is until they've crossed it. So I just remind you before I go any further, you are commanded by God to forgive me in case I find the line when it's too late. But in an effort to help set context and be funny, I'd like you to all imagine with me the final presidential debate before the election as Biden and Trump take the stage together, and they come out and say, hey, look, we see things a little differently. You may not have been able to really understand that statement because they both may have been talking at the same time. And they say, we have different solutions for how we would do this and solve problems, and then they would give each other some names about how they felt the other one was going to go about that, and you kind of get the picture. But imagine after just a few of those exchanges that they stopped and said, but before we go any further, we want to talk to you about the thing that matters most, Jesus Christ. That's funny or sad, I don't really know. And it may be the most ridiculous example I could give you. But it's the most appropriate picture I can give you. Because Jesus put Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot together to help you and me. Because all across the church today, that is our current situation. Look, I'm not the pastor of this country. God has not given me that voice. My messages don't go viral, and, and I'm not responsible for what happens in, in places where God has not called me to pastor those people. But I'm responsible to some degree here, and I am the pastor of this church. And so what I, I feel God has called me to do today is to speak to us as a church family. And if any believers... Uh, in the world, do hear this and want to apply it, that's great. And, and if any non-believers do, even better. Would love it. But, but my role today is to speak to us as a, a church family and to remind us of some very basic things. And before we do that, I, I want to remind everybody why Grace Life exists. 
You see, when, when we came to South Carolina, along with this family right here and two other families that are not in this room at the moment, to help start this church, we had something very, very important that we wanted to accomplish, and then that was to build a, a church family that would worship in diversity in a place where worshiping in diversity was not the norm. And by the grace of God, we've been able to achieve that, and we continue achieving that and getting better at it and more diverse every weekend. Now, some of you would say, okay, great, let's look around the room and compare skin color, but you need to understand that it's not just about skin color. Diversity runs much deeper than that. You see, you could actually all be the same color, and diversity would go as far as your experiences and your backgrounds, which would affect your opinions and your, your perspectives and your viewpoints, because again, we may all have different socioeconomic uh, backgrounds and upbringings. We may come from different subcultures. And so what that means is if we want to build a diverse church where people worship together when diversity is not normally accepted in worship, well, it means that we're going to be bringing together Matthew the tax collectors and Simon the zealots. It means that we're going to stand here together and try to lift our hands and praise the name of Jesus while the person beside us couldn't be more different. And, and the reason for today's message, what we've all got to understand is that when a Matthew the tax collector stands side by side with a Simon the Zealot in worship, they've got to remember that representing Jesus to this world is more important than any cause you could stand for or disagree over. And that's the reason that I wrote this message today. It's also the reason that I was able to write it three months ago because it was irrelevant to who won for us to keep our eyes on that very fact. And so as we close, I'm, as we finish, as we finish, I'm not done, and I'm just going to go ahead and apologize uh, to you because it's quite predictable that we're going to go late. We're going to go late today because Greg did some great stuff in worship. He gets a little of the blame, but I get a lot of the blame. And uh, so far, I've proven true to, to preach long every other service, but I, I hope that you will allow me because uh, I'm really just getting to uh, the final part that I want to do, and I'm already out of time, but I want to give you some very basic biblical reminders of who we are called to be. And I've always made jokes with my staff. I've said, you know what? Sometimes I just get tired of writing sermons. I just want to stand up and read the Bible. Can I just read the Bible one Sunday? Because, I mean, the Bible speaks for itself. I could just read the Bible. So I'm finally going to kind of do that, if that's okay with you. For the rest of the time, I'm just going to read some things out of the Bible. Uh, unfortunately for you, I am still a preacher, which means I'm probably going to say something along the way because, you know, I don't know how not to. First reminder that I felt like God wanted us to have is what Jesus said, John 13, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And, you know, the beauty of this is it wasn't a new command. It was actually what the Father had said to all along. Kind of like parents every now and then we say, hey, by the way, if you never thought about it, how about you clean your room? You know, I've only said it a million times, you know. And so Jesus like a new command I give you, it's the same old one, please. Finally, can you get it? Love one another. He says, as I've loved you, love one another. And there's three ways you can kind of do the as I've loved you. The, well, as I've loved you, because I've loved you. Because I loved you when you didn't deserve to be loved. You love one another and it's not an option. I did it, you have to do it. You have to love one another because I loved you. You can also read it as to the degree that I loved you. So you must love one another. You can always also read it as the way that I loved you by putting you first so much that I went to the cross for you. Because I've loved you to the extent that I've loved you, the way that I've loved you, you 
must love one another. Not an option. You have to. And here's why it's so important. Because the only reason you're on earth is to accomplish a mission. And by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. If. If might be the most important word in that whole verse. The only way the world is even going to know that you're a follower of me is not the t-shirt that you wear. It's not the church sticker on the back of your car. No, those things will just make them think you're a hypocrite. But the way they'll know that you're my disciple is how you love one another. It's how we're supposed to treat one another. It's how we're supposed to treat people outside of this room. And matter of fact, it is the only way that we will ever reach anyone for the name of Jesus is if we show them the love of God that won us over in the first place. We have no chance without the love of God. And I will tell you, the only thing that I've added to this message since August is something I found out yesterday. I don't do social media and if any of you have sent me a Facebook friend request and haven't replied, it's, it's not because I don't like you. I just don't even know you sent it. But my wife showed me something that a, a person who would call Grace Life Church their home posted yesterday. It was very discouraging. Because they posted, if you like this person being one of the two candidates, I want you to unfriend me, unfollow me, because I don't like you. And I don't respect you. Now, I'm pretty sure all of us are aware that at least somebody in our church family would think differently from you. So how do you reconcile that statement with, by the way you love each other, it's how you're going to make me famous in this world. I don't know how to reconcile that statement. But I think it's the reason that I'm here to give these reminders today because some of us have lost sight so much of what matters right now. And the only way that we're going to accomplish the mission, that we think we have permission to say things like that to one another. Second reminder that I feel God had for us is Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven and we await a savior from there. What that means is that our savior is connected to our citizenship. And I think more believers need to just stop right now and do a check on their true home. Our true home is not here. Our true home is in heaven. The Bible gives us the idea and a great picture of being in exile at this time and in this place on planet earth. Like we should live as as prisoners in exile on the earth. Our true home is in heaven. And if our Savior, it says, and are we await a Savior from there, meaning we don't await a Savior from Washington, D.C. The president will not save us. The government will not save us, no matter who those people are. Our true home is in heaven, and we cannot lose sight. But too many of us have. Matter of fact, I'm going to give you a list. I'm going to put it on the, the screen, and, and I want to encourage it everyone, if, if I have any voice with you, to, to be intentional about ordering this list. Because the truth is, you've already put this list in order. Everyone in this room has already put this list in order. It's just probably accidental and subconscious. You've never thought about it. And when I say in order, it means which one supersedes the other, meaning which one comes first, and you make all of your other decisions with that one already decided. You need to figure out first, second, third, fourth, all the way down the list. And so here, here are the things. It starts with family. doesn't start. Self. Kingdom of God. Country, career, politics, 
allegiances, money. Look, I, I used to teach school before I started teaching the Bible, and I just like to do fun teacher things every now and then. And so just for the fun of it, when I'd give out a test, I'd say something like, hey, everybody, number one is C, by the way. <laughs> and they'd look at me like, is he lying? Is he trying to trick us? I bet if I put C, I'm going to get it wrong. How dare he? No, no, no. Seriously, if I said it, it's right. Like, number one, it's C. I'm just trying to help you out. A little friendly help from the teacher here. Let me give you some friendly help today. Kingdom of God is number one. There is no option. Kingdom of God should be number one. I'm not going to give you the rest of the list. Some, I'm going to let you pray through that on your own. But I'm going to tell you, if kingdom of God is not number one, you've got something unbiblical in your ordering. And if you find out that when you write down kingdom of God first, but it actually doesn't turn out to be the way that you're functioning, you need to reexamine some things in your lives. So the Bible gives us this picture of living in exile and our citizenship is in heaven. So Jimmy, where are you going with this? Because I've watched some preachers say, well, then this doesn't matter. Does it matter what we do? Does it matter if we vote? Does it matter who wins? Well, the Bible answers that. Jeremiah 29, 7 says, Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. And this is very important because not only is our welfare in question, our nation, the gospel's welfare is in question because historically America has been the nation that has done the greatest work at being a proponent of the freedom of worship. You and I can do this without any threat. Anytime we want to. We can get together as many times as we want to and sing as loud as we want to. We got speakers on the outside of the building, the whole community here. The one person that lives right behind us, they complain every week. But, <laughs> but we don't get in trouble for it. We don't go to jail for it. No one shoots us for it because in the welfare of our nation is the welfare of the gospel. And also traditionally and historically, the United States has done more for the spread of the gospel and the people in the United States and the organizations and churches in the United States have done more for the spread of the gospel historically than any other nation. The welfare of our nation matters. And therefore, I'm gonna tell you this, it absolutely matters. It matters who you vote for. It matters that you do vote. I was appalled to find that a pastor I looked up to, a pastor with a national voice, used his national voice in the last two weeks to say that Christians shouldn't vote in this election. Are you kidding me? You're going to tell me that we should leave the entire welfare of our nation and the spread of the gospel up to non-Christians, to people who don't put kingdom of God first on their list? How foolish. It absolutely matters. And I will tell you it matters who wins. I'm not going to tell you a name. I'm going to tell you, it matters who wins because leaders determine direction. The CEO of a company will determine if that company succeeds and is profitable. The head coach will determine if the team wins. Parents will determine if the family stays together. Pastors will determine if a church accomplishes a mission or just gets together and pats each other on the back. Leaders determine direction. It matters. When I said our citizenship is in heaven, I was not telling you to turn a blind eye and act like you don't care. Because that would be foolish. We represent the kingdom of God on this earth. It matters. However, or not however, in addition, Tuesday's behind us. The question now is what's in front of us. And what's in front of us is this question. Some of us are asking, 
for some people would be a better way to say that. What, what, what happens when you believe the welfare is in danger? The Bible answers that too. Here's a reminder for us. First Timothy says, well, first of all, then I urge that supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people. For kings, for those who are in high positions, pray for kings. Pray for those in high positions. Why? Well, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet, godly life dignified in every way. Meaning our ability to, to live, to worship, could very much come out of the prayers for our leaders. And I want to remind you, no matter how excited or scared you are, I, I, I've, I've heard people both ways. I've heard somebody say, thank Jesus Christ for what just happened. And somebody said, please, Jesus Christ, help. What that means is that even as believers, we don't exactly agree on that. But let me tell you something you need to know, no matter which way you're thinking. And that is that the Bible promises the heart of a king is like a stream in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wants. Psalm 2 says that the kings of the earth make their best plans and God sits in the heavens and laughs because our God is greater. And that's why he tells us to pray for them. Pray for them. Because if you think somebody needs to get saved, pray they'll get saved. If you think somebody's character needs to change, pray their character will change. If you think their policies need to change, pray their policies will change. Pray however God leads you. But he says, look, pray for them because when you pray for them, going to give you the best chance of living the godly life that I, I've got for you. He goes on to say, because this is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, that should be enough. Pray for them because it's pleasing to God. Don't stop praying for them. It's pleasing to God. And you know what I love? He brings it all back to where we began. Pray for them because it's pleasing to God who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He comes right back to where we began. Pray for the kings so your life will be godly and so people will get saved. Because heaven and hell are real. And that matters. Everybody still with me? Have I finished yet? I might right now. Just being honest. 1 Peter 2. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. When I first sat down in August to write this message, I knew I'd use this verse, and I actually thought this would be the first verse I used. I thought I'd spend the majority of my time helping you understand the context for this sentence. When Peter wrote as one of the disciples, honor the emperor, are, are you kidding me, Peter? I thought I'd spend the majority of my time helping us understand that he's writing to the, the first century Christians to honor the pagan leader of a pagan empire that is oppressing them and their, as, as a people and oppressing their freedom of worship because their worship says we can only worship one God and Rome demands that you worship and, and allow freedom of all religions, but that you worship even their, their emperors as deities and, and then when you rise up and say, sorry, but we can't do what you want us to do, they're going to oppress you and kill you. And Peter says, honor. Really? Yeah. Honor. Honor everyone. Look, 
I've just been, I've, I've been deeply concerned by what I see come out of people's mouths and what I see posted on, on people's social media. One reason I, I have so little love for social media is because of watching people that I, I think would identify as a Christian not act like that. What we've got to remember is every word we speak, everything we post is a representation of Jesus Christ. That's what you, you, Christian I mean, you, you, if you want to continue posting some of the things you post that are so dishonoring, I, I would prefer that you change your language and say, I go to church. Do not try to identify yourself as an actual disciple and follower and representative of the one true king of kings on this earth if you're going to do things that are so contradictory to his nature. One of the things that has concerned me is watching the way that Christians have spoken about leaders. The way that I watched Christians speak about Obama for eight years was concerning. The way that I've watched Christians speak about Trump for four years so far is concerning. The way that I hear Christians speaking about the potential of the next leader is already concerning. The way that I watch Christians speak about each other in this nation because they're one side of the country or another and so they can put anything they want and blast them is concerning. Which is downright sad because I've had to help mediate the way some of you in this church have spoken to each other. Honor. You can disagree with honor. You can stand for a cause with honor. We look at the news, we watch these newscasters and they make fun of people and they call people names and we watch politicians make fun of people and call people names. We watch people shout at each other and shout over each other and we say, what is wrong? People have lost their civility. I wanna tell you what's wrong. Why do we expect non-believers to have civility when Christians don't have honor? We've got a reason. It's called Jesus. It's called Jesus. When we walk out these doors, unless we just say, well, I just visited that church, then we represent someone. And our words and our posts and our attitudes matter. Doesn't mean you agree. It means you honor. I mean, seriously, I want you to think about this. Can you just imagine Matthew, the tax collector, looking at Simon the Zealot? How can you possibly believe that and support those people? Simon looks back at Matthew and says, how can you possibly believe that? Support those people. You see, their causes, the Bible never tells us they got over their causes. They just figured out they had a cause more important, and that's called Jesus. We need to think about that. We need to start honoring people. Because first of all, if you want to bring somebody to the table and talk about Jesus, it starts with honor. There's a reason that there is division at such a great level because we've drawn lines that says you're not on our side and we won't talk to you. And it's been very dishonoring. And it's, it's happened in both ways. I'm, I don't mean that on either. I just mean as, as humans, we have just gotten very dishonoring. As Christians, we've gotten very dishonoring. And I think it is my command from God to remind us we represent Jesus with every word. My next to the last reminder is meant to be both challenging and inspiring. It's the one I hope everybody goes, yes, thank you, Jimmy, for saying something good. 
Romans 16, 20, come on, one of our favorite verses says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Who wants to get excited about that? That is what our future holds. God is going to do something amazing. We all love it. Do you love that verse? Do you know the ones that come before it? I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions. Watch out for those who create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught, meaning honor, love, Jesus first. Citizenship is in heaven. Watch out for things that try to get your eyes off of that. Watch out for things that try to divide you. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ. Doesn't matter what they say. Doesn't matter what they say. Nope, nope, they, they don't. Their appetite, and by their smooth talk, their flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Now, I love when he says this, but your obedience, man, for your obedience is known to all that I rejoice over you. I want that to be said about us. I wish that could be said about the church in America as a whole. Like, look, you have done such a good job not letting the smooth talk work. You've done such a good job of not giving in to all of that stuff that they're, whoever, again, doesn't matter. That what I know about you is you're not divided. What I know about you is you didn't get tripped up by obstacles to your faith. And what I know about you is we know you for your obedience to God. Imagine if everybody and every party and everywhere in our country could look at the church in America and say, but, but we know you because you're not divided. Your faith isn't tripped up. You're not caught off guard by smooth talk. But you represent God. Because I want you to be wise as to what is evil, I'm sorry, wise as to what is good, innocent as to what is evil, because then the God of peace will soon crush Satan beneath your feet. I'm gonna give you the Jimmy Revised version of the Bible. Here's how that goes in, in the Jimmy Revised version. It is, you can't crush Satan when you're so busy crushing each other. You gotta get over the divisions. You gotta stop the divisions. You can't let anything stand in the way of preventing you from living the doctrine you've been taught. You represent Jesus Christ on this earth. And my final reminder, very simple for us today, because at this point, some people are, are very concerned. And for all we know, the news could be new headlines tomorrow and everybody could flip sides for all we know. Somebody else will be, here's the point. Some of us are very, very concerned. A lot of fear, a lot of worry. And whether you're on the unhappy side or the happy side, final and most important reminder today is Psalm 103. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. He's on the throne, y'all. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know, but I know he's on his throne. I don't know the details of how everything's going to play out. But God got us this far. You don't have to be happy about everything. Matter of fact, can I just close with this? Some of us think the issue is whether or not we like the president. The issue is whether or not you love the king. That's the only issue. Can I pray for us? God, we thank you that you have held us. You've held human history together to this point. God, today we would say we need you. And as we say we need you, every one of us could be having a different explanation of what that is like. Some of our prayers would actually be the opposite 
of others of our prayers. And, and so God, we just, we first come to you and confess and say, not our will, your will be done. Your will be done. God, you, you have a plan, you have a purpose. We know it and we trust it. We declare to trust it. I'm gonna ask some of you right now to declare to trust God, to yourself, to him. And God, right now, we just want to confess as a people any time that what we have said, how we have said it, how we have acted, lines that we have drawn, if any of that has prevented us from representing Jesus as he is, if any of that, that has prevented us from being able to share the love of Jesus with someone that we think very differently from, then God, we repent. God, help us. Forgive us. And I pray that you will, you will challenge and cause every one of us, whether online or in this room, hearing this message right now, to be a person who represents Jesus in everything we do and say, period. If you'll just stay in a place of prayer, I want to take a moment and talk to those who have yet to make Jesus their king. As we said earlier in the message, Jesus did come and he did die on the cross. By the shedding of his blood, he paid for your sins. And because he rose from the dead by the power of the Father, he can raise you to eternal life. If you have never made that exchange of the life you've been living for the one he has for you, I wanna help you do that right now, whether you're in this room, kneeling in your living room at home. Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that you died for me. And now, I want to live for you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I'm forgiven. My simple prayer here today is that you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom. Amen. Everybody help me celebrate with those people. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Head over to gracelife.church resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.